Super excited for this edition of the Hustle the Day podcast. Today, I have Paul Edwards. He is an author, podcast host, mastermind leader, and a veteran. I think you'll get a ton of value out of this one. Go ahead, check it out. All right, so I am here with today's guest, Paul Edwards. Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on this call with me. I, I appreciate that uh, you know time is a valuable resource and we're all limited in it. So I appreciate that you're here on the Hustle the Day podcast. Thanks, Trent. It's great to be here and looking forward to hustling. Yeah, I appreciate it. So tell me real quick, uh, the, for those that don't know you, Paul, what uh, give us a little bit of a background story about you. Oh, background story about me. Well, the way I like to... I, to to keep this on track, because I have a tendency to, to ramble, um, I'm, a, I'm a Spanish-speaking immigrant. I don't sound like one. Uh, and I hold three passports. I've lived in five different countries. I speak two languages. So I'm a military veteran, uh, college graduate, and then I'm a, uh, professionally, I'm an author, speaker, podcast host, and mastermind architect. Uh, personally, husband of 14 years, two sons of ages 11 and 9, and uh, one heck of a good God over my life. And other than that, in my spare time, I'm a uh, competitive uh, a competitive bodybuilder, men's physique. Uh, in fact, I'm competing in a show in Portland this coming Saturday. So there's a mouthful for you. Yeah, quite the impressive resume. With all that impressive resume that you you just mentioned off, who do you think was the most influential in your life today? It doesn't have to be business related, could be personal. Who who has influenced you the most thus far in your life? Well, I'm going to put this in two categories because uh, worshiping the God that I do, there's no way that I would be where I am without what he's done and who he is. Um, And I I don't want to sound um, highbrow religious in saying that, I, but it's fundamentally true, and I would be remiss if I didn't say it. Uh, over the course of my life, though, one of the reasons we, you and I were talking about this, um, that I have started the mastermind business is because of a long succession of really great mentors and peers to whom and through whom I've been able to have a fantastic degree of uh, of, of relationship, authenticity, vulnerability, um, and accountability. And so for me, uh, you know, th- this would stretch back uh, to my early 20s, but I, I first had a mentor um, who was himself a, a, a self-made multimillionaire, but was also a quadriplegic and as a result, needed somebody to do physical tasks in the house. Um, so I got to live in his, uh, to live with him kind of as a Tuesdays with Maury almost type of thing, yeah. except he wasn't dying. Uh, and, uh, and I was the angry young man who had no direction and was going out and making a mess of my life and uh, it changed my life. I lived with him for a year and watched and observed and and a lot of things changed about me. I lost about 60 pounds of, you know, excess body fat uh, as one big example. And I just became much better at talking to people, um, much more mature and humorous and engaging with people than I had been. Um, So after that, there was, there's just been a long succession of them. My uncle uh, was profoundly influential in my life and is to this day. 
my mom's brother, um, led me to, uh, led me back to the faith. Um, and in the military, I worked for some NCOs. Would you call them, uh, expert the way we think of experts? Not necessarily, but being unable to defy them without legal consequences helped me shift my mindset. Yeah. And I, and I learned as much about what not to do. Um, as I did about what to do from them. Um, and then ever since then, you know, the, the, many of the professors I had at Pacific Lutheran University in, in Tacoma, I didn't, you know, I, as, as questionable as the value of college education has become, I look back on the time and, and as, because I was 10 years older than everybody else, I learned a lot from those people. Um, and, uh, and of course in, in entrepreneurship, I've had some just wonderful people come along. I won't go too much longer on this list, uh, other than to say, um, in the most recent years, they, I have had several really good ones. Vince Del Monte was one, Dan Locke was another, Rob Kosberg is another, and now Aaron Walker in the Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind. Very cool. So I'd... Going back to uh, a little bit to the actually living with a mentor, uh, I think that would be an incredible experience uh, to be able to do that. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Jesse Itzler, but he had he had David Goggins, who was a former Navy SEAL, uh, come and live with him to help uh, change his habits and his routines and try to be a little bit more disciplined. Um, like you said, it affected you in a very positive way to be able to actually live with a mentor. Most people, you know, they are able to see their mentors very rarely or their virtual mentors or things like mm -hmm. that to be able to actually live with them had to have been an incredible experience. Second to none. Second yeah. to none. I, I have not found, in fact, it has, it has left me with a, a sense of lack with the degree of engagement I've been able to have with any mentor since. But it was a special time and a special circumstance. And what I have also observed is that if once you get that chance and you take as much advantage of it as I did, I could have taken way more, but I was young and reckless and chose to chose to leave. Uh, once you take once once you've been through that, um, it establishes a foundation so that when you start to use the more traditional or conventional, I guess would be a better word mentors where you maybe you see them once a week and maybe you don't even live in the same town that they do right nevertheless you have that established foundation so that when what your mentor tells you doesn't compute or doesn't make sense etc you can always go back to that and so um, my encouragement certainly if uh, if any of my target audience is listening is if you have such an opportunity um an uncle or a, a kindly older man in your life who's willing to do that for you, take it, take it for all it's worth. Because, um, after that, it, it, it caused a permanent irreversible shift in my life. I can never go back to the, to, you know, some of the old habits I had. Very cool. So how, for somebody, uh, like you mentioned, your, your target audience, um, so a younger generation entrepreneur, how would they find that mentor? somebody that could give them that experience? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Because while I am offering a mastermind product to them, which grants them a degree of access to me that, uh, that people, only young men who I attend church with locally have at, my, at, at the present time, uh, 
I'm not inviting, you know, my wife simply wouldn't stand for me to have a young guy come and live in the house, <laughs> you know, that was a part of the Same. family. Like maybe my nephew or something might get that, but, but the, you know, it is a million dollar question. I would say this, if you're a believer in God and you are struggling in life and you can't go back to your parents, like I could not go back to my parents because I was raised in an atheist home. And had I understood this at the time, I might well have said, God, could you provide me with somebody who can do this for me? Then I probably would have said, I would have turned to God. As it happened, when I look back on this, I think God went ahead and answered that prayer without me asking, because that's exactly what I got, you know. Um, but did I, did I know I was looking for it? Did I have any conscious apprehension of what was about to happen in my life? No, I just answered an ad in the paper. I needed something that where I didn't have to have all the all my ducks in a row because I had no ducks in a row. I was a I was a train wreck when I moved in with this first mentor that I had. Well, and obviously you've uh, you've grown from that experience, and now you've got uh, um, a successful career to look back and thank that mentor for. Mm, um, absolutely. So, as you're going along in this process in life, how is it that you? got involved in entrepreneurship? Well, uh, I was, after I left, uh, my first mentor, I went overseas, um, because my father's British, he bequeathed to me a British passport. And so I had a carte blanche to go and land there. I had family living there. I had an opportunity and, uh, but I didn't, and, and I had a dream pretty much right away that at some point, somehow I was going to be influential. And at that age, my definition of influential was quite a bit more prideful than it is now. So thankfully that never actually materialized, but I had this, I had this dream. And so I, but it, you know, you're, I, I was 21. I didn't have a degree. I didn't, I couldn't really go and get a specialized job anywhere. So I just started working wherever they, you know, wherever I could get a job. And, um, it, it worked really well until I got the pride bug and started thinking that I was entitled to being, you know, promoted higher than I had been. And then, and then that sort of dissipated. I resigned from that position, went and took another one, totally failed at it. It was my first sales job. I was a total flop and got fired. And I said to myself, you know what, I, this, is, this is a recurring pattern in my life. I start something, then I quit, or I start something and then I open my mouth and I get fired. I need a job where I can't quit and I can't get fired. So let's join the military. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so I did. I went and it was the eve of the invasion of Iraq. And of course, at that time, we thought Iraq would be done and dusted in a couple months. So I had no idea that I was going to go spend two years of my life in the Middle East, uh, all told. <clears throat> but anyway, I went and did that. And then, you know, and and I was able to flush away quite a bit of uh, of pride and, and impulsiveness by working with those men, especially the older NCOs that I worked under, because they were used to the environment and they reinforced it ruthlessly. You know, it was we we this this is not where we are. You know, a bunch of individuals doing our own thing. We are working together on the same mission to get it done, come hell or high water. And um, and I've never forgotten that. Because what it did was it inculcated in me a sense of duty and also, funnily enough, of initiative. 
because as soon as you start to get promoted into the management ranks, wearing stripes, as they call it, mm-hmm. um, if things go south, you don't get to blame the soldiers right. under you anymore, right? You blame yourself because you didn't ask, right? And uh, I've never forgotten this line. A platoon sergeant of mine was walking along, barking it at us one day. And he was like, if you don't know, you better ask somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remembered that. And, and so as, I, as they put stripes on me, I said, if I don't know, I got to ask. Yeah. If I don't know, I got to find out. And I got to find out before it's too late, before you know, the hammer comes down on me. So, uh, anyway, that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's all this experience, but actually to be quite honest, right at this moment, I've forgotten what the question was you asked me. So <laughs> no worries. Uh, how did you get involved in entrepreneurship? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. So I go through the military, I get out, um, I go to PLU, I get my degree in communications. I wanted to do radio, right? Everybody's got, you've okay. got the radio voice, you get the charisma, you get this articulate speech and all that. Yeah, yeah, great, great. Uh, but I couldn't make it work. I couldn't get in fast enough or find a position that actually paid a, a suitable wage for what was now a family of four. <clears throat> Plus, you know, all the bills that go along with that. Right. So um, it was the bottom of the recession too, and I felt kind of betrayed and left behind. And so I just, I had to get a job and I, and I decided, well, I could, I could get a job in insurance because if there's one job that's always hiring, it's insurance agencies that need salespeople. And I did, and I thought that this was kind of like the, uh, the, the point in life where everything sort of petered out and I just treaded water till the end. And it wasn't because what ended up happening was I, I ended up learning to network I had to learn how to build relationships with people because I'd never learned how to do that or I'd, or I'd learned some bits of it, but I didn't know how to go beyond um, being charming and charismatic when you first met me, but not really having anything to offer beyond that. So I had to dig deep and learn what's important to these people. And luckily I found myself in the community of entrepreneurs and business owners. So I created a brand called the business owners, personal agent. And I made them my target client. Um, so that continued for the next six years uh, until the time that, you know, my destiny began to come back to me, which was about two years ago. And uh, in June of last year, I was fired from that last job. Oh. Um, I hadn't sold anything for a while. I had everything was, I was doing everything the same way I'd always done it. And I was producing leads the same way I'd always done it, but I couldn't close any of them. And I don't view that as by accident. I was not tremendously hungry to stay in the game because it doesn't pay. Um, so I, uh, I, I got fired and went home and hired myself. There you and, go. Uh, and here I am, 18 months later. <laughs> Very cool. I, I love the, uh, the line you uh, have on your bio as a uh, recovering uh, insurance agent or insurance salesman. So <laughs> yeah, Ned Ryerson. Yeah. Do you have life insurance? Cause if you do, you could always use a little more, huh? Going through, uh, that process, you, um, what would you consider was your biggest failure and what you learned from that? <clears throat> uh, I'm going to put this in a broad category because it applies in a lot of situations. Um, there is, or there was in my life, a reluctance to go deep. Okay. 
And what I mean by that, um, this happens to a lot of young guys moving into the phase of life where they get married and have children. Now you can't fake it anymore. For sure. Right? You can't just be smiley, happy, go lucky. You live with people who push your buttons, mm -hmm. right? And, and you also are expected at this point to be beyond having just Joe jobs or, you know, doodadding along. You're expected to be earning a living and you're in the accumulation phase and now you have responsibility and you have mortgages and, and payments to make and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you feel the pressure for that, but you don't have an answer for it, right? Not necessarily. I didn't. Yeah. And, and, and that leads to, uh, it, well, it led to, for me, a, an, an exceedingly uh, heavy degree of, of pessimism bitterness, uh, self-loathing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but God rescued me out of that. Um, he was kind the whole time. He knew what I was going through. A lot of it was self-imposed, but it wasn't all self-imposed. Um, and, and I think that probably the biggest failure was, as I look back at it and I look at how I handled relationships back then and how I handled scenarios, um, how I was so just anxious to prove myself by racking up sales and saying, well, the world will love me when I've, when I really make a lot of money. Um, I would, I would do that differently. I would have, I would not, had I understood what I understand now, I would never have had half of the sales conversations I did the way I had them. Okay. Um, I would have had them and, and, and I think based on one of the other questions you mentioned, I think I'm going to get a chance to give an example of that because I think people hear that and they're like, well, that's great. What does that mean? I'll tell you, but <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just to say, I would not have gone nearly as shallow okay. as I did in relationships, in my marriage, in uh, client relationships, in sales conversations, uh, in friendships. I mean, you name it. I was just shallow, not, not like, plastic fake shallow but right. but 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 lukewarm shallow you know like mm -hmm. kind of halfway there but not really yeah and somewhat and interested but not really trying to to get really involved yeah right and so the the mastermind just to give just to give people a a, a a perspective here paint a contrast if you will is is the antithesis of that because if you're going to be in this mastermind you have to you have to want authenticity and vulnerability and, and transparency more than you want money okay. right it's not it's not a crime to want money it's not a crime to it's a, this is a capitalist environment right but mm -hmm. you have to you have to want deep meaningful connection with people and a, and a place to be to to let out your your junk and a willingness to be confronted about it lovingly, right? right. We're not pointing fingers or shaming, but we are going to say, that's just not, that's not enough. You can do way better than that. You know, anyway, I don't want to get too much into that, but I just yeah. want to say that's the antithesis of where I was. Okay. Well, I can definitely relate to you on, on the, uh, the, you can't fake it anymore. Cause I've got three children myself and a wife and you know, you, it, it changes things for sure when that, when that happens. So, um, one thing I, since this is, uh, you know, the, the hustle of the day podcast, how would you personally define the word hustle? 
I like that question, and and I had not given it much thought, but you're you might find this surprising. Um, the the word that comes to mind is uh, monastic, and I'll tell you why. That's not a very commonly word, used word. A lot of people might think I'm talking about joining a monastery. I'm not, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're not we're not getting up at midnight when the bells ring to to pray and then bashing ourselves in the head with blocks and that kind of <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but the monks had a very interesting take on the expression of their faith, and that was that. And I'm generalizing here. The thing that they worked on the most was the internal mess. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what being in six years of sales and being in the military and everything that I've learned up to this point in 20 years in the workforce, everything that I've learned, Trent, is that you, the one thing you can always exert the greatest degree of control over is yourself. Absolutely. You can't control how other people process you or interpret you or, or interpret what you said or take your meaning. Like I would, I would get sales that I thought this is, I'm, there's no way I'm getting this sale. I'm thinking in the back of my head and I got it. And then there were other ones where I'm like, I can't possibly miss. And I missed it. And I didn't under, I never, it never dawned on me that whole time that this is to tell you how shallow I was. This, it never dawned on me the, the whole time to ask why, hmm. but the, but this goes to, goes to show that when it comes to hustle, the only way that I hustle is in improving myself. That's the only effective hustle I've found is in learning and confessing and owning my junk, right? Yeah. The, only, the only way that, that, that life begins to gather momentum for me is when I come at it from a position of strength. And you can't do that if you're running every which way with the way the culture defines hustle, you know, they're just running nonstop 24 seven, go, 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 go. That's not hustle. That's exhaustion. That's a hamster wheel <laughs> to me. That's going nowhere. Right. So I, I, I really like the question because I had never, I know that I know the term, I appreciate the value of hard work but I've done hard work in the wrong direction so many times in my life that I refuse to think of it just in terms of purely, are you sitting in a chair, not doing anything, or are you up out of the chair active? That's, that's not more. Doesn't always necessarily equal better. Absolutely. I agree with that. There you go. (laughs) I I like that answer. I really do appreciate that answer Uh, for not having thought about it. You sure had a lot of thought to it, but uh, it's, it, it, it reminds me kind of, of the, the, common phrase, your mess is your message. You know, you, you have your, your things that you, um, that you have internally, um, that your own mess and that is, is your message, Mm -hmm. but that's changeable. That's workable. You can, you can always be working on yourself. You can control yourself and your circumstances to, to a degree. Uh, so I, I really, I really appreciate that, that comment. So the uh, it reminds me of uh, some passages, two passages from the Bible that go together. Um, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen, James says. And I think a lot of people think that means well, just keeping silent until it's your turn to talk. No, it's not what it means. It means 
in fact, being slow to speak and quick to listen often involves you speaking. Yeah. It's what's coming out of your mouth. Because if it's questions and genuine inquisitive and curiosity about other people, you are being quick to listen. But if it's, what about me and what about my needs and I, 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 me, 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 and I, then you're, you're fast to speak and slow to listen and, you know, too wrapped up in yourself. If you're going to talk about yourself, here's the other scripture. He says, um, I will, if, if I'm going to boast in anything, I will boast in my weakness. If you're going to talk about yourself, talk about, man, I used to get this so wrong. I, I made such a mess of this scenario and here's how I did it. Because it's it's like a moth to a flame at that point. People just tell me the story, okay. you know. <laughs> and and people can all relate to uh, the shortcomings because we've all been there. We've all experienced shortcomings. Uh, we all don't think we've experienced success necessarily in the same way other people have. So it's it is great that we can we can relate to that. Uh, you mentioned we may get into a little bit um, regarding a previous question uh, regarding, you know, the shallow conversations and whatnot. What are some of your tips to networking with some of your dream connections, some of those people that you really look after for influence, since influence is something you're, you are about now? Well, to, to model the example that we just laid out about sharing your weaknesses. Um, when I first started networking, uh, I was as clumsy and as, and as, uh, oafish as you could get, um, trying to steer the conversation towards who handles your insurance. Right. right. As if people had actually come to a chamber function or a real estate gathering or whatever the, to talk about, this is who handles my insurance. And I'm not happy with them right now. I mean, that's, that's just absurd. But I did it because I didn't know what else, my job is to sell insurance, right? Everybody, that's right. what everybody, everybody thinks. So that's the old me. That's not who I want to be, right? Um, you fast forward a couple of years later, and, and I'll fill in the details after I give you the, the, the change result. Now I get invited to a, a fundraiser featuring the guy, Bill Bryant was his name, who was running for governor of Washington State in 2016. He lost, but, um, but I got invited to this fundraiser. <clears throat> and the reason I went was because I was already uh, uh, on the uh, board of directors for two local organizations. One of them was the local Miss America pageant. The other one was the Association of the U.S. Army uh, Military Support Organization. And it so happened that I needed the same, the same high-performing, uh, publicly recognizable uh, CEO to, to help me with things I needed for both of those organizations. So when the, on the Miss America uh, pageant, and I tell this story in the book, by the way, if people want to look it up, but um, with the Miss America organization, we needed a, a celebrity judge. So this guy was the chairman and CEO of the largest tribal casino in the area. And everybody knows who that casino is. And most people in the business community anyway, know who its CEO is. So I, I knew he would make a good quote unquote local celebrity judge. The other thing we needed was we needed a venue. We wanted to do a, a, uh, 
a fundraiser poker slash cigar night. Um, and we needed a venue that allowed smoking indoors, which tribal casinos do, mm-hmm. that would provide poker tables, which tribal casinos have, and dealers, which tribal casinos have, and refreshments, and on and on and on. <laughs> and what better place, right? right? So I walk up to this gentleman. His name's John Setterstrom. Um, at this fundraiser after it's over. And I, I give him my card and I said, I'm glad you're here. I, real quick, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to meet you because we're looking for celebrity local judges for the, the next Miss Thurston County pageant. I'm on the board. And his face broke into a wide smile. He's shorter than me. So his face broke into a wide smile like this. <laughs> and he said, that sounds fun. Here. And he gives me his card. He says, here, email me. I will, I will respond to you. And, um, and, and from there, right, we got him as a judge. And then it's, it's always better to have this come from the top, right? So then he made it happen for us. Tables, dealers, cigar room, private room for the poker fundraiser. All of it. Yeah. And all we had to pay for was the refreshments. Oh, wow. Now, take those two scenarios, right? Those two stories. Mm-hmm. So take the two different... There's a guy at the beginning, that then the Ned Ryerson, hey, do you want to buy insurance? And then there's this guy. What's the difference? I'll tell you the difference because you asked the five tips. So the number one tip is uh, be an angler. Um, if you fishermen in the audience will recognize that term. Um, and, and basically when you fish, you fish at an angle, right? You're, 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 you're trying to lead the fish in a certain direction so you can catch them. You're trying to always tugging at an angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I put it in that term is because I think a lot of people go to a networking scenario, a function, a chamber gathering, whatever, and they go to do business versus going for business reasons. Right? And there's a distinction. Right. To do business means to sell, to collect money, to fill out forms, you know, all the transaction stuff. Nobody wants to do that in a networking function. Oh. But everybody goes for business reasons, right? Exposure, connections, relationships, introductions, um, opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't be aware of. You become the person who provides all those things to them because you go as an angler, just like I did, right? I went to that fundraiser. I didn't go to meet the guy running for governor. I went to meet John Setterstrom and I gave him an angle that had nothing to do with insurance. Right. right? By the way, I got an insurance client out of doing that deal for him. When I very good, <laughs> his 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 one of his uh, chief um, uh, right hand ladies there, who was in charge of coordinating all that for me, was opening up a business, and she asked me to insure it. Okay. So it see this is the the, the law of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, be an angler. Number one. Uh, number two is keep your ear to the ground. Okay, so this means to be a scout for people. Um, especially the busier, more prominent, the entrepreneur, uh, I, I, t- I lay down an example of this too. Um, Andy Ryder is the mayor of the city of Lacey, which is adjacent to Olympia where I live. And, uh, Andy loves to shoot guns, but Andy has no time to shoot guns. And he had heard about, but had never been to this gun club that they, it's an indoor shooting range they've set up here in Olympia in downtown. And I, at the time was a member there. And so we were talking about that over lunch. We ran into each other one day and he said, I've been wanting to go down there, but I don't have a membership and I just don't have a lot of time to get all the, all that paperwork done and all that. And I said, Hey, 
I'll get you in on a guest pass. Just bring your heat. And they got a cigar thing in the back. We'll go back there. We'll, we'll fire up a, a cigar and we can talk about anything under the sun. And he said, that sounds great. <laughs> so I had a private one-on-one -on -one captive audience with the mayor of a city who became an insurance client. <laughs> Very nice. By simply being a scout for a recreational activity, never mind a yep. business opportunity. This guy just wants to unplug and have some fun where nobody can bother him, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that's number two, right? Um, and and uh, number three is done for you publicity. This is this is uh, using your platform, and everybody's got one now, right? Right. Some people are more organized about it than others, but everybody has a Facebook page or a Twitter feed or an Instagram handle, or a Snapchat profile, whatever, right? Um, so at the beginning, what I started doing was I would go to real estate open houses or brokers opens, and I would do tours with my phone. I'd film, look at this house, look at this bedroom, look at this view, mm -hmm. look at the... And, and then I would post it and tag the real estate agent who was selling the house. Now... That's never led to a direct transaction. That's not the point. The point is the more impressions they make, the sooner that buyer shows up, right? Absolutely. So I've seen it happen. We've gone and done interviews and done uh, footage and little tours, and then two or three days later, the, set, the house is sold, right? Um, so you know, you're, you're, you're just using, in your case, you and I are doing done-for-you publicity right now, right? We're doing, right. we're doing a podcast interview. You can do it on a YouTube channel. There's any number you can start a publication if you want to, but, the, but feature the, the people in your network as much as you can. Use that as a, as a means of connecting and building relationship. Um, and, then, uh, the, the, and then there's the three big questions, right? If, if all of those don't work, there's always the three big questions. What's going well for you? What's not going well for you? What are you looking forward to? These aren't, these are different than the questions everybody else at a networking function is going to ask them. They're, they're going to say, what's new? Yeah. Too much. I, I don't have enough time to tell you that. Um, what do you do? You don't care what I do. <laughs> right? Just being honest. Yeah. Right? Most people don't. Right. They don't care about what you do. They care about what they do, right? Absolutely. But somebody walks up to you at a networking function and says, nice to meet you. You know, you make your small talk introductions and you say, so tell me, what's going well for you in business lately? And throw them off. Your, no open lip. Yeah. By the way, this is why I tell introverts are great for this. Because mm -hmm. if they learn how to ask these questions, they don't have to say much, which is the way they like it. Believe me, I'm taking notes because I am an introvert. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's well, so am I. I might seem extroverted, uh, but I'm actually I actually love silence and solitude and and recharging and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what's going well for you? The second one is the is the is the critical one. If you don't take notes when somebody opens up to you about this question, you, you gotta you gotta need you need your head examined. What's not going so well for you? Where's the pain? Where's the frustration? What could be going better? Why? Because you got a freaking Rolodex, man. You got a Absolutely. bunch of business cards in your pocket. You got all kinds of people you know and say, I got this problem. I can't solve it. I don't know who to turn to. Lucky you, because here I am and I know exactly the person. Right? Very good. Yeah. 
And then uh, what's what's what are you looking forward to? So <clears throat> um, that's just to to try and bring it up more on a positive level as you end the conversation. I hardly ever get that far with people. Usually, it's the first two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have time, but if you if you get to that level and they've you know they've opened up to you and and you've you know sometimes you don't even recommend somebody right away. You just file that in your in your in your head or write it down on a piece of paper and say, you know what, let me do some digging around. I might know someone who can help you with that. But if you get to the end of that and and you've had that, you've gone down into the valley with them. You want to come back up out of it by saying, what are you looking forward to? You know, where are you going on vacation or when you know your kids are graduating high school? Oh, that's great. Or where are they going for college? You know, it just opens up opportunities for you to ask more questions and give fewer give less information about yourself absolutely because with a good person who receives that from you naturally they're going to reciprocate you won't have to go out there and talk about how great you are right they'll do that for you and in the meantime they'll reciprocate and they'll start asking you about yourself too very good i forgot my my fifth tip focus on the farm team so everything that i just said practice it on the average person because if this is in your head by the time you get to being in front of a john setterstrom or an andy ryder or you know mm-hmm. in your case when you've when you come face to face with your mentors or really strong influencers or politicians or community leaders, people performing at a high level, executives and all that. This stuff is in your head, right? You just do it naturally. You listen for that cue when they talk about a frustration and you dig deep. You, you, you know how to dig deep when they tell you that stuff. You don't, you're not standing there thinking, well, I don't know what to say. I guess I'll just keep silent or say, oh, that's too bad. No, <laughs> you start asking more questions because you're thinking, how do I reroute this into the hands of somebody else in my network who would benefit? That's how my mind works all that's, the time. That's, that's great. I, I love those tips. Like I said, I was taking notes on those because I know my audience could use them and myself could also use it. So I appreciate that. Well, and, and of course, uh, you know, I, I'll need to get your address, Trent, so I can send you a copy of the book because it's all in there. Yeah. It's all in there, you know. So. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so one thing that uh, you've got some experience in is uh, talking to business owners, people, they, they often slam the door in your face. You get that no. How do you turn that into a yes? This is one of my favorite ones. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll, I'll share another story. Um, in the archives of my podcast, uh, Influencer Networking Secrets, I have an interview with a guy that I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him well-known, but I would call him very clever gentleman by the name of Leo Quinn. He's located in upstate New York. <laughs> I've never forgotten this. As a matter of fact, I can, I'm, I'm, it, it'll probably come to me almost word for word. I get an email from Leo one day and uh, it just in the subject line, it just says, I got your info from podcast guests where I subscribe, right? Mm-hmm. So he's looking, he sent me this email and he says, dear Paul, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of rejection therapy. But uh, it's based on this book called Go For No. And um, as, as a means of improving my comfort zone with the word no, I'm, on a, I'm currently on a mission to get rejected by as many podcast hosts as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> so I said, I'm like, what? So I'm, I continue to read this, right? And he says, yeah. so if you would please do me the honor, if you, it, it, you know, he, he goes on, I don't, I, I confess, I don't remember it word for word, but that's how it started. And then he mm-hmm. said, you know, if you, if you have any reason at all, you're not interested in talking to me about my summer of a thousand no's. He'd actually created a URL and a webpage about it you know, wow. to, to, to share his journey. If for any reason you're not, you are not interested in this, please, please, please send me an email saying, no, thanks, not interested, go to hell, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it was magic. Um, and I, I immediately wrote back and said, Leo, you're well, I want you on the show, you know? Yeah. Because here's the psychological trick that, and it's not, a, I don't want to say trick in the sense of dirty trick, right? I'm talking mm-hmm. about, um, the, the using that the, 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 against the, the, the grain, if you will, of the way most people would do it. So I, so I was at a stage there where I would have said yes to just about anybody who asked to come on the show if they were relevant to the topic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Leo could have easily reached out and said, hey, I, could I come on your show? Um, but he, it was, it, uh, you know, it, it caught me off guard because he went ahead and said no for me if I wanted to say no mm-hmm. without with, but consulting me in the process, right? That there's this, there's a very dangerous habit we can get into of, of saying no for our prospects and clients before they've had the chance to say it. We don't want to do that, right. but we do want to say that no is an option. Mm-hmm. And I think most salespeople and marketers and business owners that's the missing ingredient, right? I mean, if you can, in other words, if you can sit down with a client and say, look, I really want to do business with you. I like you. You're my target client, whatever the case may be, right? But, but I don't like leaving things unattended to, unsaid or undone. I don't want to, I don't want for you to, get the feeling that I just want you to do this so that I can make money and then you get whatever. You, in other words, if you have a reason that, that is bugging you, if you see something that's sticking out like a sore thumb, if I've neglected a detail, I want you to understand I would rather you say no. Because if we can overcome the no and eliminate it, that leaves what? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that leaves only one possible answer. Absolutely. But if I'm not comfortable with either one, then that, no wonder I got so many of them when I wasn't comfortable with either one. As I ta- told you earlier about my, my time in insurance, I just wasn't willing to go that deep. Yeah. And I was anxious and stressed and angry and bitter and burned out. And I just wanted yeses. I was, I was like, I don't want to hear no anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that story because it's, uh, that's, that's very, very interesting to hear. And, you know, like you said, putting that no out there for you already, it, it helps, helps as you, as you said, I'm trying to think of another word, but I'm, I'm, I'm failing at it. But the, the trick of the psychological trick there, uh, that was, that was pretty smart on his part. Um, it taught me, it taught me, it, it, it cemented a fundamental belief I've, I've brought into my thinking, which is always look for reasons not to do business. 
because there might be a damn good one. Yeah. This person might seem like they're, they're hitting all of the, the ones except the one that matters most. And if they're not hitting that, then you need to wait until they are hitting it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you need to be, and, and you just need to be comfortable enough to say that. Look, I really like you, but there's this issue. I, as a business person, as a responsible for my company and all that, I, I need to do business with people that I, you know, that, that, that I'm comfortable doing it with. And here's the area where you and I are not seeing eye to eye. So can we resolve this? Can we negotiate and arrive at something that's, that, that, that everybody's happy with? Very good. So your, your podcast, Influencer Networking Secrets, um, you, you talked about your life being, uh, you wanted to be influential in one, one way or another. Um, businesses today, they all want influence in the market. How is it that they accomplish that? In, uh, in the sixth chapter, I, I, <clears throat> if I had it to do it again, I would have gone into more detail about this because I call that chapter, I call it uh, the curator. And I was referring there at the time that I wrote it more to um, an interesting phenomenon on social media, which I won't go into now just, to, just for the sake of time. We've, we've gone on quite a ways here. Um, but what I've, what I've since realized is I got to put this together with another phrase that I came up with, and that's called the unpaid sales force. So to achieve influence in the marketplace, you want to have an unpaid sales force and you want to curate it. In other words, you want to be choosy about who you do this for more than others. Be, be kind to everybody, be generous to anybody, but be uh, to to kind of borrow off of a George Washington phrase, be intimate with few. Um, and, and those people will identify themselves because they'll be your, your loudest, most supportive, most vociferous fans. In doing this though, what happens is the reputation that you have begins to precede you mm-hmm. because these people are, you're, you're following the other five values. I assume in the book that I prescribe here, if you're doing this as a, as a selfish, you know, then it's not going to work. But <laughs> if you are, if you are being magnetic and if you are offering up pro bono publicity and you are working with nonprofits and ending up profiting by doing it and you are, networking with dream connections and you are persuasive in print, then you're going to curate your own unpaid sales force. And that's what creates that multiplicity of the message. Mm-hmm. Aside from what everything you can do with social media these days, which is wonderful right. too. Um, you, you're basically, I don't want to call it duplicating yourself, but you're multiplying your presence in people's minds and hearts. And if you want to have influence in the marketplace, then again, it goes back to a, a, a good tactician with this is going to leverage the strengths of a lot of people, a lot more qualified to comment on how good of a professional he is than he himself. Okay. I, I, I like that. Um, it sounds like I really need to dig into your book a little bit more and I, I appreciate um, all that you've shared with us. And I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, you, when we were talking before we started, 
getting going. You've got a number of things that you're doing here uh, in the very near future. So um, I want to give you a little bit of time to throw out a plug there, throw out a shout out, whatever you want to do here and uh, make sure people know where to find you. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and join you here. Trent, I'm going to say um, we, are, we are actively looking for young men, usually in the age category of you know, 18 to 35. So just the very first emerging Gen Z, uh, mainly millennial, younger guys, uh, who, 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 for whom this is resonating, you want to be a part of this. Um, nothing, this is nothing at all against the young ladies of a comparable age. As a matter of fact, I can, I have a, a very good friend who's setting up one that's, uh, unique to women and, and there are plenty of those exist. Um, but my calling is very specific towards the young men that are coming into uh, the kingdom behind me. So if that's you and you want to be a part of this, I'm going to just, I'm going to just say, I'm shouting out to you and you are welcome to get in touch with me. Uh, to look at the keys to the kingdom mastermind um, as a as a as an ally and an asset to you going forward. Um, but other than that, uh, just very very grateful. This has been a fantastic conversation, and uh, it's really brought some stuff out of me that I kind of forgot was in there. To be honest with you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. And then you've uh, created a link for anybody who's. Uh, listening that is interested in your book or uh, potentially even a, a coaching call with you, which is very generous, um, specific to um, Hustle Energy. I'll link that in the podcast description below and uh, feel free to reach out with, to Paul if you have any further questions. And um, I, again, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us here and I uh, want to thank you again and make sure anybody who's out there is listening to uh, get out there and hustle the day. Thanks, Trent. It was great to be with you today, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Hustle the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.